0: The western diet is impacting our mental health. That is a fact. To focus on improving our well-being, we must see the connection. On today's podcast, we discuss the role of our industrial diet and the impact on our mood.
1: Roger, when um when we reached that age when we were old enough to kind of start taking care of ourselves, I think we were probably middle school, junior high. And our, our sister to a much lesser extent than you and I, but we would come home from school and, you know, our mother had gone back to work, our dad was at work, and they left us some things so we could take care of ourselves. We had our freezer filled with some snacks we could toss into the microwave and heat up before dinner time, or a cupboard filled with some canned goods that we could throw into a saucepan, heat it up, and, and have a little meal when we were hungry. And, I was thinking back to what I remember about Roger. He had kind of his go-to for a while, and mm. it, was, it was in the cupboard. And I want to read through the list of ingredients. <laughs> and I want to see if, if Roger can guess, and maybe Kelly, you can too, because there are some, some, some giveaways here. So this is what he ate all the time. It was one of his favorites. Okay. I don't even remember. Okay. Let's see if you can pick up on it. Here are the ingredients. Water. Tomato puree. Meatballs made with pork, chicken, and beef. Pork, chicken, mechanically separated chicken. Water, beef, breadcrumbs. The breadcrumbs are enriched wheat flour. Wheat flour, niacin, ferrous sulfate, thiamine, mononitrate, riboflavin, folic acid. Dectrose, salt, yeast, soybean oil, soy protein, concentrate, salt, dehydrated onions, dehydrated garlic flavoring. Enriched pasta made with wheat flour, niacin, ferrous sulfate, thiamine, mononitrate, riboflavin, folic acid, high fructose corn syrup. Contains less than 2% of salt, enzyme-modified cheddar cheese, cultured milk, salt enzymes, calcium chloride, water, disodium phosphate enzymes, citric acid, enzyme-modified butter, reconstituted skim milk flavoring onion extract. Roger, what was your favorite meal? SpaghettiOs. SpaghettiOs. With meatballs. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) SpaghettiOs with meatballs. Or poison in the jar. (laughs) My goodness. So the reason I wanted to start that off is because we're probably going to go into some things, and we're, we're far from perfect, right? So we grew up, we ate crap. And I think we all reach a point in our lives where... Maybe we say, I'm not feeling well. I need to start taking care of myself. And you start looking into things and you make some changes. And over time, your healthy diet has become a part of who you are. So my, my message here, it comes from the great um, cinematic philosopher when he said in front of the Russian crowd, I can change, you can change, we all can change. That was Rocky Balboa. nice so that's how i want to start this off is let's not be this is not to be judgmental of other people but you know we've all changed our behaviors and we're
2: eating a little healthier now but we're not perfect and well kelly and i definitely can't be judgmental because of what we just ate on thursday night (laughs) yeah that's (laughs) yeah we'll be
1: i don't want to be hypocritical today (laughs) and you're allowed to have like a cheat every once in a while because you know what You'll be miserable, and if you're too strict on yourself, then you can you can be almost it can become like a disease, right? If you're too strict, but so um, unfortunately, be flexible. We, we we had multiple
0: cheats on Thursday night. <laughs> so but one of the things that I wanted to uh, talk about with today and in, 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 in gut health and mental health. I remember back to um, and the audience knows that what I went through in my early 20s and I was in college. I know that I came from a family. My mom made homemade meals all the time. Um, She was a great cook. And then you go off to to college. And um, SpaghettiOs weren't really my favorite, but things like Goodles of Noodles, um, Mm -hmm. all the easy things that were there for me. And I can tell you, uh, obviously, because of that time period, my mood mood suffered. My mood changed. Um, And I know that we talked about, well, maybe it was just a bad relationship. Maybe it was that. But I'm wondering how much of that, Um, could actually depend on the nutrients and things like that that I'm
2: I'm ingesting. So important. And when we talk about comprehensive mental health care, you can't separate it from physical health. Mm -hmm. And one of the purposes of this podcast is to educate. And today's topic, we are going to talk about comprehensive physical and mental health care as it relates to diet. And we can't begin this podcast without a history lesson. We have to go a little bit back into into history and understand how modern society in the post-industrial age has shifted what we put into our bodies to a point where it has created widespread obesity, disease, and, and illness, mental health conditions. We are getting sicker as a society. Western society is just getting more and more sick. And so let's go back to late 1800s, early 1900s, Procter & Gamble. Remember
1: Procter & Gamble? Oh, yeah. yeah, I just sold my shares of stock that our father gave us when we were like, I don't know, in high school as a gift. And I held on to it for over 25 years, helped for the down payment on my house. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. They were, they've been uh, a staple of American society from yep. like toothpaste and soap and cosmetics and... God, who knows what else, but um, this company began in the 1870s. William Proctor, James Gamble decided to get into business together, um, really for soap. While soap like historically had been uh, rendered from pork fat, Proctor and Gamble were innovative and decided to create a, a new type of soap from vegetable oils. So this was around the same time oil was discovered in Pennsylvania. And it quickly displaced uh, cottonseed oil, which had long been used for a fuel source. And cottonseed oil was consigned to the status of toxic waste at that time, until Procter & Gamble realized that unwanted cottonseed oil could be used to produce soap. But there was another plus uh, that appealed to their business sensibilities, and uh, they were able to through some chemical processes, turned this in this oil into uh, a solid cooking fat that resembled lard. Hmm. And uh, that's how uh, an oil, formerly classified as toxic waste, became an integral part of the American diet. Uh, Crisco was no way, introduced eh? into huh. the early 1900s. Hey. And then soon... Uh, after that, it opened up the, the window for vegetable oils. So soybeans were introduced to the United States in the 30s. And by the 1950s, had become the most pop- popular vegetable oil in the country. Canola, corn, safflower, safflower oils followed shortly after that. And the low cost of these cooking oils, um, combined with very strategic marketing on part of the oil manufacturers made them widely popular in the American kitchens, even though uh, this was unprecedented in human history. So if you look, if you go further then into history, you start to see how financial conflicts of interest began to influence uh, food and health recommendations in the United States. So typically, um, we were relying on saturated fats, animal products, to fuel our bodies and uh, for cooking and for cooking oil. But how did how did this our country go from uh, eating primarily red meat and uh, you know and animal products, animal fats, to toxic waste essentially being identified as heart healthy and? It's interesting when you go back. You start. It starts with um, a small group of cardiologists were developing a somewhat new uh, group called the American Heart Association. And Procter and Gamble um, started this. Uh, started with a donation of one point five million in the late nineteen forties. So I don't know what that equals today, but one point five million in the late nineteen forties. It's a lot. It's yeah, a whole lot of money. It is a lot. And thanks to that generous infusion of cash, the makers of Crisco, um, they had the American Heart Association in their back pockets. And they began to market these industrial seed oils or vegetable oils as a healthy alternative to traditional animal fats. And around the same time, Uh, There was an ambitious physiologist and researcher named Ansel Keys who introduced his diet lipid hypothesis in which he presented data that seemed to suggest a link between saturated fat and cholesterol intake and heart disease. So here we are. You can see the widespread marketing to the American public that saturated fats were implicated in heart disease Mm -hmm. and we needed to turn to uh, vegetable oils as a way of... um, curbing and creating a heart healthy diet for the American population uh, and then what do you see you also see the influence around this same time moving forward into our uh, you know our generation where the food industry began to market grains as well so you're going to see a The the American diet shifted from primarily non-processed animal-based foods, fruits and vegetables, into one that included vegetable oil, seed oils, refined carbohydrates, and uh, uh, refined sugars. And what skyrocketed was obesity, and chronic inflammation, and and. An unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah. Now we have this modern uh, medical technology to try to keep people alive longer, so it looks like we're we're living longer lives, but we're living unhealthier lives. And so, in today's discussion, we have to talk about what is destroying our health, what is destroying our mental health. So, all this burgeoning science from gut microbiota. Uh, and depression, chronic inflammation, the role of seed oils in anxiety and depression and obesity and cancer and heart disease. We can, we can use scientific evidence to discuss the link between the common mental health conditions that exist, the rising mental health conditions that exist, and our lifestyle. Specifically in foods, so we can talk about foods That are going to enhance our our mental well-being. We can talk about foods that are going to support the development of of a healthy gut microbiota that's critical in um, being able to maintain homeostasis in the body, target against chronic inflammation and disease, and even begin to think about depression and anxiety conditions and even schizophrenia as a disease state of chronic inflammation that has its roots in the gut, and we could talk about everything about the modern healthcare system, that will make us sicker. And following certain recommendations are definitely implicated in the rise of, of these medical and mental health conditions. You made me, um,
1: as you were kind of going through that timeline, I'm always thinking about like the other side of that equation, right? So Let's go back to like the 1930s and 40s. We're coming out of the Great Depression. A lot of families didn't have money; they were hungry. A lot of um, a lot of people that went into World War II um, that enlisted. One of the reasons why they enlisted was because they would be able to get three square meals a day because they were hungry. They were young and they they wanted to fight, but they also wanted to get a meal. And for them, that's an opportunity. So I think about as we came out of the World War. And we had all these people coming back into the country. Then it was moving into the suburbs and this great kind of migration over towards how can we feed the population and keep people uh, well fed so that they're not angry and hungry. And that goes back towards civilization forever. Like bread has always been a staple. When people had bread, they wouldn't rise up. They wouldn't fight their, their government or their king. So do we have a tendency to go towards this convenience of of mass cons, mass production and then all these unintended consequences come along the way. And I think about that statement like you can't outsmart mother nature. Like mother nature does things the way that she does and it's the best thing for us and every every time we try and find this way around it to find a cheaper way of producing something, we miss out on the key things and and that's, that's when we realize it 10 to 15 years later, and we quickly adapt, we go another direction, and we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And that makes me think of the question right now, what are we doing right now in this moment that we think we're outsmarting mother nature, and we're going to realize, boy, that was a mistake.
2: Yeah, it's a good question, maybe for another podcast. Yeah, I know. Because I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to even begin to start entertaining that idea. What I want to be able to think, which I think is aligned with what you're saying, <laughs> is to consider mental and physical well-being in the terms of an evolutionary mismatch Mm -hmm. between what our genes um, and potentially even like our psychological needs and requirements are based with what modern society is uh, is presenting for us. Okay. So let's talk about um, an evolutionary mismatch between our genes and modern environment as a primary driver of chronic disease. What do you mean by that? Um, So- we were, we have evolved in a certain way, Mm -hmm. right? So we as human beings have adapted to our situations and environments and how we were able to evolve over the course of centuries. You're talking about hunters and gatherers? Hunters and gatherers. There was a diet, a specific diet. Mm -hmm. And that diet actually fueled the brain development where we had that prefrontal cortex that was able to develop in order to predict consequences and problem solve and really innovate, innovate to a society where we have the comforts of today. And that was a primarily animal based diet. Okay. So we have adapted with, by feeding on, on animal products by hunting and gathering uh, some fruits and vegetables when they've been in season Mm -hmm. as well has been a way to be able to sustain energy, continue to continue to evolve while there was hunting or if there was periods where we weren't able to hunt big game or fish, right? Mm-hmm. So hunting, fishing, fruits and uh, vegetables, maybe some, also some nuts and other things through some kind of farming. And
0: preparation of it also evolved. I mean, once people found that you could cook, I'm assuming, you know what I mean? Like cooking, i read a book on that. Where that's what that's what really changed humanity. You read a forever. cookbook? No, not a cookbook. But <laughs> people um, at one point probably were eating raw, you know, raw oh. meats and raw v- vegetables, and then the cooking process came.
2: Yeah, here's an interesting statistic. Um, up until the 1900s, humans did not consume industrial seed oils at all. So that means it was introduced into our diet post 1900, mm-hmm. and from 1970 to the year 2000, the average consumption of one industrial seed oil, soybean oil, skyrocketed from a mere four pounds per person per year to a whopping 26 pounds per person per year. So uh, researchers who are wise on the topic of evolutionary mismatch um, posit that our bodies just aren't designed to handle such a massive consumption of uh, what's called, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this, linoleic Linoleic acid, L-I-N-O-L-E-I-C, because um, industrial seed oils are very unstable and they oxidize easily. So the way they're extracted is through extreme heat. And um, eating industrial seed oils raises our omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid ratios, which has very significant consequences to our own health. Other things about the seed oils is they also contain harmful additives. You know, a lot of the things that you were describing with the SpaghettiOs, You yeah. know you were yeah. listing those. And they're also derived from genetically modified crops. So when it, um, it becomes like a, a, a toxic byproduct, I mean, I'm just going to use the word poison. It's poisonous to the human body. And then with those seed oils, like refined sugar and excess calories, you know, they all represent that evolutionary mismatch and when that linoleic acid the primary fatty acid in industrial oils it accounts for eight percent of our total calorie intake uh in our hunter-gatherer ancestors it accounted for only like one to three percent of total calories and uh but I, I would imagine our calories are way up too way up yeah, yeah. but it, i mean i think it's more than just cat i mean we're kind of conditioned to think about things as, as calories yeah. but um you know, the difference between eating SpaghettiOs and uh, like fast food, like a burger from McDonald's compared to having like steak um, and let's say avocados, you might have the same, you might have the same calories, mm-hmm. but the way it's metabolized in the body is different. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, when we talk about like this mismatch, here's what's really, really changed. And we can talk about the foods that have influenced this. Um, You wanna look at this omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, okay? Because upon consumption of omega-6 fatty acids, it gives rise to specific acids and potent metabolites that are pro-inflammatory in nature. So omega-6
1: are bad because they're inflammatory. Is that what you're saying? Well,
2: you can't look at it as good or bad. Okay, because there there is um, an actual need and benefit for omega six, but they're counteracted by omega Mm threes. So, in our hunter gatherer ancestors, it was about a ratio of one to one. So, you'd have your omega six fatty acids, which were pro inflammatory, and then you'd have your omega three fatty acids. Which were anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a delicate balance between omega-6 and omega-three fatty acids must be maintained in our body to promote optimal health. And and what are those found in? Give me some time. Okay. Okay. Take step by step here. <laughs> step by
0: step. Backtrack a little bit when you say inflammatory, you're talking about the gut's reaction or the body's the metabolistic reaction to that particular mm-hmm. okay.
2: exactly. Yeah. So the ancestral ratio, um, it's around 1 to 1. So you can see there's this nice balance when you're, when you're eating whole foods that doesn't allow for an inflammatory response. Westernized diets, however, greatly exceeded this balance with omega-6 to omega-3 ratios in the range of 10 to 1 to 20 to 1. A high intake of omega-6 fatty acids combined with low omega-3 intake leads to an imbalance in pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory mediators. This imbalance produces a state of chronic inflammation that contributes to numerous chronic disease processes. Now, when you talk about something as complex as our physical and mental health, If you're going to start talking about solutions, your solutions have to be complex, too. So it's not just about this, fellas, Mm -hmm. because other things have happened in modern society that are also influencing our our mental health. We are more isolated. We get less sun exposure, less contact with nature. These things really matter. We become more sedentary Mm -hmm. because because exercise is anti-inflammatory. So we are increasing the stress on our body, not only from the foods we eat, but from the lack of sun exposure, the lack of exercise and movement, and we are creating chronic disease states. And then how are we targeting these chronic disease states? We're fueling an entire industry. The pharmaceutical industry is just developing pharmaceuticals to try to target these processes In isolation without fully appreciating the complex interaction of all these important factors around sun exposure, exercise, social engagement, diet, and sleep. And so you have two industries fueling each other the food industry making us sick, fueling the medical industry, which is aligned with the pharmaceutical industry, creating drugs to try to kind of keep us alive as long as possible, but not really targeting the underlying cause. And one of my problems with the mental health industry is you start treating symptoms without addressing the cause. So we cannot have a mental health system that is not complex and integrated with all the factors that influence our health and well-being. What a challenge it is for me if somebody comes into my center And they're living a lifestyle of isolation, poor contact with nature, and living off refined carbohydrates, seed oils, and refined sugars. And then they're having problems with anxiety and depression and sleep. How do you expect that to be targeted in a psychological treatment in isolation, assuming that that person's mood is psychological in nature and a psychotherapy or behavioral treatment without incorporating significant changes in lifestyle. You can't expect that person to feel better. And then you you couple it by them entering into our healthcare, our healthcare system. And when you can't identify a, a cause of the disease, now they're diseased, right? They're at disease. And it's just a matter of time before they develop something that our modern tests can identify cancer, heart disease. It's just a matter of time. Right now, it's the mental well-being. How are they treated? Or are treating it as, as if it's depression, right? This condition that is unique in itself, and it's psychological in nature, and it's related to a brain chemical that they target with another pharmaceutical. What does that pharmaceutical do? It also destroys healthy gut microbiome. Hmm. So my concerns I'm talking about antidepressants because talk about of the antidepressants when we get into that then right yeah okay. so you can see mm-hmm. for those who follow this podcast or follow me on Twitter, I, you can see where a lot of my concern because they're the, all not
1: independent everything is linked together
2: everything is integrated in that yeah. way yeah. and actually the interventions used to treat the symptoms will actually make us sicker.
0: Do you guys remember when we talked about the big six with media and how 98% or whatever, 90% okay. throw that out there? If you go back on the chart of those exact same companies that own all the media, do you realize that they own all the food companies as well? <laughs> they do. do. It's not It's not a conspiracy. You just have to research it. So so like General Electric's at one point was one of the big ones and they owned, I believe, uh, one, of the, one of the food products that was putting out cereals and everything. So when, I guess what I'm trying to bring up is if people are listening to this and they're saying come on, Roger, like, how are you saying that all of this is interconnected? They can't be. Well, it's driven by money. It's driven by profit. And then it's obviously just driven by the abundance of something that's cheap and easy to create, right? Go back to omega-6 and go back to those oils. If I, you know, can I clarify this? If I get a steak and I want to eat it and I just would simply put it on the fryer, maybe put a little bit of seasoning on and I don't put any butter I don't put anything else on it, right? That one piece of steak might be a bit healthier so long as I don't use oils, but most-
2: No, butter is actually-
0: Well, okay, but, but, but oils. I'm talking now oils, oils for cooking.
2: It depends on what oils. Okay,
0: but if I'm adding all of that other stuff to that steak, mm-hmm. now I'm adding
2: you could, you the could.
0: inflammatory-
2: Most people don't add vegetable oils to steak, I've seen people. Boil, olive oil. I've seen boils. I've I'll, seen people
0: boil steaks. You know.
2: <laughs> well, olive oil isn't a, a seed oil. Okay, it's okay. a like a, a not oil. Is it olive's they're fruit, so they're not processed. Well, it could be right. Like this requires some investigation, but the no, but the process of olive oil and how it's extracted, mm-hmm. generally speaking, um, is not listed as one of these seed oils. Although I wouldn't be surprised if I do more investigation. Like, you know, the way that they are extracted in mass production could have that. Yeah, option. there are good olive have, oils and bad olive
1: oils. You have olive yeah.
0: oils that have added omega. I remember seeing yeah. those.
1: And there's olive oils that if you do high heat, all of a sudden they become like rancid. So like you need to be careful yeah. when so you're cooking with olive oil.
2: It's a certain type of o- olive oil that you so say that. extra virgin olive oil
1: is yeah. probably the, the right. one that you should yeah. be using.
0: But my, my point about that little steak story is when you cook, you're adding... You're possibly adding harmful things to could what be. could be a healthy meal.
2: Could be, okay. yeah. Generally, that's not how they're. You know, that's not how a steak is going to be consumed. I like to put a grilled cheese sandwich on top of my steak. What do you call that? <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it's uh, the type of beef you eat is the most important thing. So there's uh, if you are eating grain fed beef, um, it's going to be probably harmful for you. If you eat grass-fed beef, then you're going to be able to have the high quality of of nutrients. So why is grain-fed beef really that harmful to you? So those are those inflammatory... Yeah, because the cattle are going to be eating those grains. Right. And you are what you eat, so you're essentially eating them. But I mean, here's the argument
1: against that is like, it is super expensive at the grocery stores right now to go out and get a grass-fed steak that is quality and with consistency have that as part of. Yeah. Your you wouldn't want to
2: buy that. Uh, it's hard to find quality grass fed steak at the, at the grocery store. And it's expensive. If it is, there. you're going to want to find it from local ranchers mm-hmm. and uh, you're, you if know, you, that, that's the, with that's regenerative uh, agriculture. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you're Sean, you're right. It's difficult, but you want to know what's more expensive. Uh, a life of misery, life of health care costs. Yeah. Yeah. And I we eat a lot more than what we actually need to eat. So well, like when we go to the That's grocery- because the carbohydrates
1: make you hungry. Yeah. <laughs> if you're eating carbohydrates, yeah. you're constantly hungry.
2: So just for our listening audience to know the um the seed and refined vegetable oils to avoid, um soybean oil, corn oil, cottonseed oil, sunflower, saf- safflower, uh, peanut oil, sesame oil, rice bran oil. Now where Americans go kind of go wrong is they view health in terms of what is marketed to them yep so let's start with eating a healthy salad right so what do they douse the salad with dressing a salad dressing that is all um, seed oils and they're convincing themselves that they're healthy and they're eating these vegetables that were mass-produced yeah, I want to
1: touch on this. I found something really interesting. Um, may I? Sure. So in a, there was a study that came out. It was a Professor Donald Davis and his team at the University of Texas at Austin studied the U.S. Department of Agriculture nutritional data from both 1950 and 1999 for 43 different vegetables and fruits. What do you think they found, guys? What's your gut telling you that they found? They showed consistent declines in the amount of protein, calcium, phosphorus, iron, vitamin A, riboflavin, and vitamin C over the past half century. So in all those fruits and vegetables, there was a 6% decline in protein, a 9% decline in phosphorus, a 15% decline in iron, a 15% decline in vitamin C, a 16% decline in calcium, Eighteen percent decline in vitamin A and a thirty-eight percent decline in vitamin B, because it's our soil, right? It's the well. It, it, they believe it's a combination of two things. Yes, um, the the depleted nutrients due to the modern intensive farming techniques, but they also believe that it's due to the spread of uh, agricultural practices designed to improve traits such as size, growth rate, pest resistance. Uh, so, messing,
0: messing with the genetics of the, exactly. of the actual yep.
2: fruit. Yep. Do you want to know some of the uh, symptoms of the omega-6, the higher ratio from omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids? Here are, um, you know, vi- I science-backed symptoms for the higher the ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. Obesity, hyperactivity, depression, violence, and agitation. So it's basically, it is toxic poison to our body. And so, People might think that they're living a healthy lifestyle because they're eating more salads, but they're putting the oil on it. Or they're walking down that processed food section of the grocery store and they're getting like these quote-unquote healthy granola bars and, you know, Nature Valley and all those things. And
1: then you look on the back and
2: there's seed oils and everything. You're ingesting poison. And that is the complexity of what is occurring here in modern society is people don't know what is healthy and what is not healthy.
0: And why is that? Marketing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, marketing.
2: the food, the food pyramid. They're so good at it. They're, they're so good at it, but it is the it's the financial conflicts of interest between major industry and uh and the medical establishment in the United States from professors on the payroll, academics who write the textbooks, who teach. Like I don't have much trust for nutritionists in the United States because they're reading from the textbooks that were basically written by the food industry. Right. You know, you follow that pyramid, you're going to get really, really sick and you're going to experience obesity, uh, low energy, and a lot of the problems that are related to the overconsumption of grains and refined carbohydrates, and then of course, you know, your attempts to follow that, all the processed foods that exist. That's yeah. one of
0: the first things that elementary kids learn is that food pyramid, right? And that's, that was FD, at yeah. the
1: FDA, correct? Yeah, exactly. There was a study that said, uh, or found one in three consumers do not make a quality distinction between the terms natural and organic that it's very confusing and right. you can just put a, a nice little natural label on something and make it look like it came from nature. And, and it's really not that good for you all the time.
2: Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about uh, healthy foods for that ratio between omega six and omega three grass fed beef, wild caught fatty fish, uh, flax and chia seeds really important. So there are some seeds, some nuts, grass-fed beef, fatty fish. And it's just interesting what you see um, currently in modern society. It's the demonizing the foods that will actually create health and well-being. One of them is the war on red, on red meat. Try to find something more nutrient-dense than red meat. I implore you, or, you know, the organs of, you know, animal organs like uh, kidneys, liver, uh, liver, heart, testicles, things like <sighs> that. That's tough to eat, though. That's true. That's because what our diet has done to our brains. Look at some cultures, uh, like Eskimo cultures or those who, who live off animals. Mm-hmm. Once, they ki- once they kill an animal, the, they give the, the organ meat to the kids, and the kids love it. I mean, so a lot of it is the adaptation to the, to our to the food source that's been provided to us. So some things taste really bad. So things that are really good for us are are really bad. Can and there I, are
1: some cultures that really know how to prepare those in a way that they are more consumable, right? <laughs> and we we do not know how to do that in this country because it's not something that's really been passed down. Um, I would say from from generation to generation. When my uh, when my wife was pregnant, she she was craving some of those organ meats and she had read it in a book that you know as your as your baby's developing whatever's being developed in their body uh, either a specific organ or their brain there's you should be feeding that development to happen and she was craving organ meats um, and she there's a stew and an asian stew that she knew was in there and she drove like 35 40 minutes out of the city to go to this restaurant that made it because she was just craving it that much. And even still, there's like uh, Thai boat noodles, has a lot of organ meats, the tripe, the liver. And I can't, I've tried, I, I want to enjoy it, but I just don't. It's just so, I can just taste the minerals. There's so much mineral in there that for me is, is just difficult.
2: And the more that we move away from this animal-based diet with all these nutrients you start seeing other things in society. So um, infertility. The sperm rates of, of men in particular have decreased dramatically since the 1970s when this has been mass-produced for us. Uh, testosterone you know, has decreased dramatically. And testosterone, really critical for maintaining muscle mass, uh, especially as you get older. And one of the correlates for for health as you get older is maintaining muscle mass. So testosterone is really important as you age. I mean, fellas, we're at that stage that we're in our forties, that trying to maintain healthy levels of testosterone should be critical for us. Um, and it's also what else is, is implicated in a decrease of, of testosterone. Well, um, a more sedentary lifestyle as well as lack of sun exposure and connection to nature. And, uh, you know, probably also just like a lot of the things we consume media-wise, you know, is, a, is implicated, you know, just from a psychological perspective in decreasing uh, testosterone. But let me tell, tell you my story. So I probably started researching this about seven years ago now. What, what sparked you to go in this direction? Well, I was looking into nutrient deficiencies mm-hmm. linked to mood imbalances. And was this for
1: work or were you feeling something personally in your life?
2: both, yeah. right? Like in our previous podcast, we talked about how our father died of a heart attack mm, yeah. at age 50. So I, I naturally have this anxiety as I age about that possibility. Mm-hmm. And so it has driven me to, to, to look at what types of foods I eat and the lifestyle that I, that I live. And one of the things that I noticed was how I thought I was eating healthy based on American standards of diet and how much uh, additives and sugars and seed oils were part of my my diet. So I initially said I just I have to eat more real food, you know, whole whole food diets, one ingredient, and it led to a, a substantial decrease in sugar and carbohydrates in my diet. And for the first couple of weeks that I did this, I actually got sick, like not. Not like physically sick in the terms of like a virus or an infection, but my body hurt. My
1: detoxing almost detoxing. Wow. My
2: joints hurt. I became lethargic. I was craving sugar constantly, like it was a drug. And I knew at that point, you know how healthy, how unhealthy that I that I was. I immediately started to lose body fat, decrease body fat. And I combined it with some other things that I was doing exercise-wise just to help me through it. But my sleep was was impacted. And then the foods I was trying to eat had no taste to it, right? It's like- What, exa- was, what
0: examples of some of the foods?
2: That I started, to, started yeah, that, to eat or that I eliminated. That you eliminated, sorry. So I, I, I eliminated like all those snacks. So one of the things I- SpaghettiOs? <laughs> <laughs> I eliminate like granola bars, yeah, right? Yeah. Or uh, yogurt. I remember looking at one that little- That has probiotics. A, a, specific, a specific
1: kind of yogurt though, right? right? The flavored ones. Yeah, yeah that's what and I the mean. Sweet I'm ones. I'm just
2: joking. The sweetened ones. So I was looking at yogurt. So it was like 20 grams or more of sugar for the human body is like really not recommended, right? Like the body can't even like process it. And I was like realizing I have one of these yogurts. I, I hit that already. So I wake up for breakfast if I eat a yogurt and and let's say I put granola in it. You know, granola is processed. Look at all the all the ingredients in that granola, which included seed oils. So I'd put like granola in in a yogurt. It was ridiculous what I what I was eating. But a or, lot
1: of people would say that's a very healthy breakfast. People mm-hmm. would think that,
2: right? Or I'd have like a protein bar because I was lifting weights. Yeah. You know, I'd have a protein bar with my sandwich on my bread, mm-hmm. uh, maybe with my ranch dressing, <laughs> on, on my turkey that was, um, you know, like in nitrates and other things because it was like a processed meat, yep. right? So I was looking, you know, I, I, I wake up, I have granola and yogurt, uh, a protein bar, a sandwich, you know, I, and I thought that was, that was healthy. And maybe I'd have some vegetables and some meat for dinner, but I might have some grains with it as, mm-hmm. as well. So that was, you know, that was my diet. So I started eliminating that. I did keep fruit in my diet, which helped me, like, with that detox from the sugar. But the fruit, like, didn't taste good. And none of the foods that I ate tasted good. Everything, you know, tasted plain. And after about, I don't know, 14 to 30 days, everything began to change. Fruit tasted like dessert. Mm Mm-hmm steak tasted like nothing I've ever had before in my in my life. That it just drove me to have more and more and more. And I was really just focusing on eating one ingredient at a time. Now, I also transferred over to vegetables at that particular time. So every lunch, my wife would make us these big uh, salads. And in the salads was like beets and kale and Uh, Maybe some chickpeas and some, you know, some other things. Maybe I'd throw a protein in it. And I'd have that for lunch every day thinking I was also healthy until my gut would like hurt every day after lunch because I assumed consuming that amount of vegetables was actually really good for my health. So I go in stages. In those initial stage, I have the withdrawal, but then I go into vegetables and I have these horrible gut reactions which takes me to more stages. So I, I start with the nutrient deficiencies and I'm trying to eat more whole foods and fish and meats and vegetables and fruits. And then I eliminate a lot of the vegetables from my diet. And th- that's when I start to feel better.
1: So you you don't consume any vegetables now? Small amount. Small amount. Yeah. Why do you think for you it was bothering you so much?
2: Uh, I, think it, I think one, uh, when we talk about genetic mismatches. Mm-hmm. And you talk about diet, depending on where your ancestors grew up, probably influences your evolution and your adaptation to specific diets. So what you're talking
1: about now is you're going into a like individual individualized
2: diet. Based plants. on your genetics. Interesting. Um, I was eating too many vegetables. So they're high in fiber. The more you learn about vegetables, they really kind of like... A, Emit certain um, geez, chemicals uh, in the human gut that can create like a leaky gut or problems with digestion. Explain leaky gut. I I'm not an expert.
1: Um, All right, I, I think you, I, th- I read something. If my understanding is like there's little tiny holes in your stomach, so nutrients can leak into your bloodstream. That's what it says. Yeah.
0: Okay. Woo.
2: And that leads. Good safe, That Thank leads you. to vitamin and mineral deficiencies. There you go. Right. All right. Um, I also was feeling a little bit more, you know fatigued, definitely in the afternoon because I was having that you know that lunch, which was a salad every day. Mm-hmm. So from the hour from the hours of like, I don't know 12:31 to like three or four I felt horrible. And I think you have to trust your body. And I looked at how a lot of our vegetables in modern society are nutrient deficient, uh, eating them in high amounts for the wrong person, can affect gut microbiome. And that brought me closer to what my diet is today, 98% of the time, which is kind of carnivore, Mm -hmm. high protein, low carb. And it also seems to fit as far as a, a, um, you know, a, a genetic match to most likely what my ancestors you know lived off of
0: but you left out the
2: potato i <laughs> was just gonna say <laughs> where's your potato so <laughs> i have i have added in uh some like sweet potatoes oh there you go and some sweet, <laughs> <laughs> some all about some sweet <laughs>
0: potatoes uh indigenous to ireland no or? i don't think so
1: <laughs> <laughs> um so how how have you been doing this for two or three years now
2: uh more car- carnivore. carnivore yeah three three pro- three years probably how do you feel the best of my life. I'm, I probably feel better in my 40s than I did in my 20s.
1: Hmm. Okay,
2: and um, I'm just as strong now as I was in my my early 20s. So it it certainly has helped with um, ma- ma- maintaining muscle mass. Yeah. Now I'm always I'm not 100% adherent. Mm-hmm. Because of some of the things that we've, you, you brought up before about a a flexible diet. So if I'm going to meet friends of mine, Kelly included, to watch the NFL draft on a Thursday night, you know, I'm having some wings and some beers. You don't want to be the guy that everybody goes, oh God,
1: I'm not. No, don't invite Roger. Don't listen to him. He's going to be whining about all the food that we eat and making fun of us. And he'll be sipping his water and, you know, eating. No, I don't want to live that. (laughs) I don't want
2: to live that way. He didn't eat wings. He ate a salad. (laughs) (laughs) But I pay for it. Yeah. I'm not gonna say I don't pay for it for the next couple of days because it co- it's somewhat Kelly, you were there Thursday night. It kind of um it kind of looks like a binge like quality, right? Like you don't we have You're to... like jackals at a carcass. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's that doesn't happen that often. That's every maybe what, three or four months that you guys are all able to get together yeah. And, yeah. It, and just have a night out. It's it, it's infrequent.
2: Yeah and um you know, if you go out to restaurants, you have to eat the food that's, that they prepare. So you go out on the road, um, like for kids' sports or you're, you're traveling, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're going to be exposed to those food. What I'm advocating for is the majority of the time what your diet is. So I did say that there, I thought there were a lot of nutrient deficiencies that existed in the Western diet and without a doubt existed in my diet. And then you you start to tie them together with the rising rates of anxiety and mood conditions, and you see how much they're related. And I think we have to be able to use this science and this research to inform better health practice. And I think those working in the mental health industry cannot work in isolation. You have to be able to look at the entire lifestyle of the individual. Is it okay that we can go over some of the nutrient deficiencies that exist? Yeah, mm-hmm. let's do it. Okay. So we all know how important vitamin D is. What do yeah. you guys know about vitamin D? Uh, sunlight, yeah, right. Be outside. Doesn't it help with re- um, repair, cell repair, tissue yeah. re- tissue repair? Yeah, fights off illnesses and maybe cancer. Yep. And we also know like there's well known seasonal impacts related to low vitamin D on mood. That seasonal depression. Yeah, I've felt it this year. I've I've been out
1: in you know beautiful Southern California for the last 16 years, and mm. I had to bear through this winter of
2: rain, and I was. It was getting to me after a while. So, so vitamin D, <laughs> you, you have to get the sources here from sunlight, but also through your diet. Right. But you know what I found? And this was fascinating for me for what, I, for what I discovered. And it changed the way that I felt. And it influenced my practice as a psychologist was the role of magnesium. Do you know about 50 to potentially 70% of Americans are magnesium deficient? And that you can't metabolize vitamin D if you have low levels of magnesium. Hmm. So where are you gonna get magnesium from
0: other than the supplement? And I'm assuming you're gonna talk about supplements as being I'm not, different. Okay, yeah. Yeah.
2: And listen, I'm I don't know enough about supplements other than it's not the same. And I know they're not regulated in any way. So Yeah. Yeah. So if we're going to if we're going to be able to change our lifestyle in order to have enough vitamin D and and we saw this with COVID-19, this is like a very clear correlate. Those with low vitamin D were at higher risks of, of uh, obtaining COVID-19 and the, and the significant severe health risks associated with it. So that was really, really important. So they started saying, take vitamin D supplements that way. That's not what you needed to do. You needed to get your sun exposure and you needed to change your diet. So, vitamin D, get it from your fatty fish, your grass-fed or pasture-raised meat, your organ meats, egg yolks, full f- full-fat milk, and make sure you get your early morning sun exposure because that's 40% of the infrared and blue lights that are required. It's cellular regeneration. So, we talked about this in previous podcasts, the walking in the morning, mm-hmm. sun and mm-hmm. how important that was. Uh, not only for like anxiety because it 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 depressed neural activity in the amygdala but it's just getting that through the eyes and through the skin is necessary for uh for vitamin d but if you don't have the necessary magnesium then that's going to impair your ability to to metabolize it So this was really interesting. A review published in the Journal of the American Osteopathic Association found vitamin D can't be metabolized without sufficient magnesium levels, meaning vitamin D remains stored and inactive for as many as 50% of Americans. And it's implicated in the symptoms of anxiety and depression. Here are magnesium-rich foods. Dark leafy greens, seaweed, figs, fish, avocados, bananas, pumpkin seeds, Mm -hmm uh cacao which is found in in chocolate so here's what i did. dark chocolate dark chocolate dark chocolate. Dark, dark chocolate and you need at least 70 percent cacao mm-hmm. so you can't just get your you hershey's the, dark chocolate yeah, you need the, bitter the stuff
0: one. that doesn't taste really good uh, i does, like bitter it, dark it's chocolate. bitter
2: yeah, it's yeah, bitter. Yeah, so right. what i did once i got this information is i immediately implemented into my diet avocado bananas mm-hmm. um some uh, some darky some dark leafy greens that I would put into a into a smoothie, like uh, spinach and kale. Yeah, and pumpkin seeds and dark chocolate. So our local grocery store has like ninety percent cacao. Mm-hmm. So I have nightly cacao or cacao powder that I can put into a smoothie. Pumpkin seeds, avocado, bananas leafy greens
0: so you just make sure that every night you're, you're, every, taking, day, you're that's every day every day that's in my something, diet yeah and that's once a day yeah if you had to if you broke it down because you said earlier you just focus on one
2: food per meal
0: is that correct? uh one ingredient one ingredient
2: yeah. yeah so again all those are one ingredient gotcha. like pumpkin seed there's nothing else it's pumpkin seeds well yeah. it sounds easy enough yeah it's like whole foods and then you you include that in your diet that that includes eggs especially the yolks, and your fatty fish, and your grass-fed beef. And now you're starting to change a couple of things by eating this way. One, you're getting a lot of the nutrients that your body was depleted of. And then you're altering that ratio of omega-6 to omega-3.
1: So the funny thing is our listening audience is uh, probably 80% grandmas. And this is the stuff that they would cook with. I'm joking. They're, they're not grandmothers. But Griff, <laughs> don't know where, going, I don't with know where he was going with that either. Grandmothers historically have cooked with whole ingredients. For them, if you were to say these things, they are like, duh. Of course. Especially in like European countries or, or other countries well, where like, they just, they, they cook with what they have. Like
0: my mom. Like I said, she was an amazing cook, but she's... She did nothing but my dad loved liver. I was oh, really? like, yeah, oh gosh, I mean, now I look back on that. If, what, if I would bring up what we used to eat to let's just say people that don't know all, all of this today, they would look at me and go, well, that was unhealthy. Everything she did was healthy, yep
2: mm-hmm. everything yeah. she did was right: steak and eggs I will t- sure. tell you what like people don't understand that, that um, any of the a lot of the research is distorted on, on red meat they're doing it with uh, you know people who are eating high seed oil diets. So they're getting their meat or their beef from fast food and drinking sodas and eating fries with it. Right. So that correlational kind of data has, is really problematic. Mm -hmm. Um, some other really important, um, you know, vitamins and minerals, iron, zinc, selenium, amino acids, vitamin B, and antioxidants. Okay. If we're just going to paint with a broad stroke for today's podcast. And and you're getting those in a lot of the things that you've already said. Yeah. So vitamin B, get it from your leafy greens, um, animal protein, fresh fruits, berries, Mm -hmm. seafood, avocados, your amino acids, animal protein, even bee pollen, zinc. Now this is hard. Uh, You're going to get it from your, from your beef, your lamb, seafood, but things like oysters are just like really, really good for you. Iron get from your red meat, your shellfish, your organ meat, dark leaf green, dark leafy greens, selenium, garlic, turkey liver, red meat, spinach, bananas, and your antioxidants: berries, dark chocolate, leafy greens, locally sourced honey. So you can you can see what your diet should should be like if you are going to have a mental health diet diet and you're struggling with anxiety and depression, I would be eating these things. Some leafy greens, grass-fed beef and animal organs, wild-caught fish and seafood, berries, dark chocolate, Mm. high in cacao, some important seeds like pumpkin seeds or some almonds, and something that I haven't mentioned else, because we're going to talk more about gut health, mm, gut health mm-hmm. is really, really important, like locally sourced honey, raw honey, that is, right? So that's coming from the soil and the area in which you are you are living. This is really good for healthy gut microbiota, has even been sh- uh, shown as an effective treatment for l- seasonal allergies. Yep, yep. So um, what we're talking about is whole foods, nutrient-dense foods, and you have to eliminate And I mean, Sean said, Sean said cheat, you know, cheat days balance. No, I mean, listen, you probably shouldn't eat it at all. Like you should not eat um, processed foods and seed oils at all. And you, if you're going to have flexibility, you have to probably look at it in in different ways. Uh, I probably could have went out with you guys on, on Thursday night and chose different foods and felt better. But it's like two days for me to recover from that, which takes me, you know, which is one night, right? Because we were ingesting seed oils. Mm -hmm. Probably shouldn't do it at all. But if you want flexibility in your life, obviously you minimize it, you're going to minimize the impact. Mm -hmm. But here are the processed food dangers. First of all, everyone should know that 95% of, uh, there's like over, over, I don't know, there's hundreds of neurochemicals. We focus on serotonin because of, um you know it's it's implicated to a, to a degree in in mood and sleep and other things not like everyone thinks but 95% of serotonin it's produced in the gastrointestinal tract and so when you when you eat these processed foods or pharmaceuticals you are destroying you know gut microbiome so you're
1: you're going into the gut brain connection
2: yeah okay and we should focus on gut health and mm-hmm. there are Physicians, there, you know, there's an, there is a subspecialty called um, nutritional psychiatry. And that's one of my concerns is how modern psychiatry, not only does it, is it harmful, is that it limits the advancement of science and physicians to actually go in a direction to provide interventions that are healthy to one's lifestyle.
1: There's, there's a lot happening in this, in this space right now. There was a book I read probably about four or five years ago. It was called Gut. And it's the inside story of our body's most underrated organ. It was written by Julia Enders. And I'm not going to get the backstory correct, but I think she had um, an autoimmune disease, had suffered, and then basically began like testing things on herself um, until she was able to overcome her, her challenges. That book got me really interested in my gut bacteria. And do you remember there's a company... and I'm not endorsing them in any way. I just found them and I thought they were interesting what they were doing. They're called Viome. I did the same thing. Yeah, so I basically send them a little, little dab of the you know the doodoo butter, and then they they <laughs> you mail it to them, and then they they give you an analysis of um, all the uh, gut bacteria that's living in in your system, and it shows you your ratios, like what you have high bacteria, what low bacteria, and then based on that. They recommend some foods that you should adjust in your diet to, to feed the gut bacteria that you want to grow and to deplete the ones that you want to go away. I just I found that whole thing fascinating, mm-hmm. and it, um, I, I believe it's just going to continue to evolve.
0: And Roger, you shared a study with us that we read for this podcast. The last name is Yasmina, I believe. And in it, um, they talk a lot about that there is increasing evidence, specific scientific literature, that the implication of gut microbiota um, in a variety of brain disorders such as depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia. So mm-hmm. there is a scientific there direct is. link to what you're saying.
2: Yeah. I th- Do you think people know how much uh, scientific research is um, censored from, from the public?
0: There's no way they do. No.
2: Well,
1: I mean, it's the Google al- algorithm. Whatever people are searching for is going to be bumped up. Now, yes, there could be somebody that's pushing things down, but most algorithms are trying to give people what they're looking for, and that's based on volume.
2: I I really do think physicians believe they're using the most advanced scientific data to drive their, their interventions. But the truth of the matter is, it's all filtered out information to serve the industry that's supporting them. No doubt. But the most common response that you'll get from a doctor is,
1: yeah, there's some interesting things happening over in that space, but there is no statistically
2: valid research study that supports it yet. That's not true. That's I mean, what I hear. Yeah, a lot. well yeah, that that's um, you yeah. know, that's what they're told, right? Yeah. There's not an abundance of data. I mean, I can just look into into my field and um, you know, if you had a choice between taking an antidepressant, okay, and I want to talk about what destroys healthy gut bacteria, antidepressants are one of them, antibiotics, you know, pharmaceutical drugs. If you had the choice between taking uh, a probiotic and some diet change versus a antidepressant and the probiotic and some of the diet change would have a, a, a greater impact on your mental health and well-being versus an antidepressant, which would you take? The probiotic. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's science, mm-hmm. right? Now, does it have the same funding uh, to replicate? And does it have the money behind it to be on our local news and to be distributed into our primary care centers and to write books around it? No, it doesn't. But the easiest way to get your gut to become healthy
1: is through diet and exercise. Taking a probiotic might help a little bit. But I, I believe a lot of that is damaged or killed off the moment it hits your, your you're acid. Right. Yeah. So taking a pill is not the solution. It comes down to consistently consuming the things that are healthy for you to kill off the things that are bad because you're no longer feeding them Right. and then feeding the ones that are provide more value to your body.
2: So then if we look at what actually destroys healthy gut microbiota, mm-hmm. this informs what our healthcare practice should be right if we we need to be pro health not try to depress symptoms with the next pill okay mm-hmm. so here's what destroys this is my list of things that destroy health well-being and obviously they destroy healthy gut microbiome prescription drugs specifically let's look into our you know my field of like psychiatric drugs antidepressants as well as obviously antibiotics antibiotics have an important role but the overuse of them kills all the use of them at all kills off you know healthy gut microbiome smoking alcohol processed foods additives seed oils added sugar chemicals plastics low sun exposure sleep deprivation stress sedentary lifestyle. So you want to ask me what is comprehensive mental health treatment? Just do the opposite. Try to get off prescription drugs. Stop smoking. Moderate or eliminate your alcohol use. Don't eat processed food or seed oils. No added sugars. No chemicals. Or try to limit the chemicals to the best of your ability, both in your home and what you consume. Plastics, get more sun exposure. That, in turn, will also help with with sleep. Exercise, in turn, helps with sleep. Manage your stress. Meditation. But stress is complicated. It's not just the psychological aspects. It's also what we put into our body. So, the sun exposure, the exercise, the improving nutrients, makes everything easier to manage. So, takeaway from today's podcast on in my end is you have to be very skeptical if you're living in a western country about what is fed to you not only fed through the media but fed through science and fed through your food sources and how that is contributing to our mental well-being or lack thereof I've, I have a dream. I've tried to talk to Sean about, mm-hmm. you know, that dream of what a comprehensive mental health care center looks like. Is cognitive behavioral therapy important? Oh, yeah, it's important. Because it, it is looking at our behavior and our actions and the way we approach and think about the world. We need support. There are very important psychological interventions, but not in isolation. It can't be in isolation from everything else that is contributing to the way that you feel. So my dream is to have a comprehensive center where you also can work with like a nutritional psychiatrist or a nutrition, nutritionist who is outside the influence of the food industry in the United States. And you're aware of this research. I've thought about things like yoga, meditation, mindfulness kind of groups, meetup groups for exercise sauna use and we haven't gotten to that in the in the uh in this podcast yet but um about changing body temperatures and the impact that has as an antidepressant effect so that's cold plunges that sauna use that, that 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 use of uh hyperthermia and increasing the temperature of your body mimics effects of of exercise and releases these heat heat shot proteins which have an antidepressant effect and decrease all-cause mortality. It's a burgeoning field, right? But unless that you have the ability to access that information, and thank God we have podcasts and we have social media, if it's free and uncensored as a way of being able to share scientific studies, that allows us to move outside of industry-controlled information. And information that can improve our our well-being. And Sean and I talk about the future of this practice in the center. And ultimately, we have a goal to create something that actually influences and contributes to health. And what we're going to be against is another industry. Another industry that is going to benefit off of you being sick. Because you become a lifelong customer if you're being sick. It's why you see our hospital centers here are just trying to buy up all the practices. And then you have these stupid talk apps where you think you can get on a screen with somebody and talk to somebody and that's going to improve your mental well-being. We have to be the antithesis to that. Mm -hmm. You hear me over there? (laughs) (laughs) It's not polite to point. (laughs) (laughs) you have to you have to manifest it you have to see it in your mind kelly you need to you need to be a voice over here on that microphone we have to make changes it needs to be a movement and it needs to be a collective movement in society you keep doing the things that make you sick you're going to feel sick don't feed an industry that just is attempting to manage your symptoms live a full life life isn't about managing symptoms life is about feeling good And If you feel good, then you can create, then you can love, then you can socialize with others. It's a better society.
0: Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis, or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you're considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.